I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Hilo. It's the podcast brought to you by me, Pandora Sykes, and Dolly Alderton. And it's a combination of the high and low. The clues in the title. What's um, been the highest thing you've done this week, Pandora, and the lowest thing? The highest thing I have enjoyed this week. Do you know what? I haven't stopped thinking about this article I read in the Times magazine on Saturday with a girl from the Midlands called Kimberly Taylor who goes to northern Syria, which is a small village outside Raqqa, to join the YPJ, I think I got that right, Warren, the YPJ, which um, fights ISIS. So it's a kind of voluntary, oh, wow. voluntary force made up of people from all over the world. It's actually completely illegal. If she, As soon as she comes back to the UK, she'll be arrested for terrorism. God, it was the most incredible piece. And I will post it on the Hilo's Twitter. But the lowest thing is that um, I'm thrilled Made in Chelsea is back. I watched it last Well, night. you know that you're never going to get any judgment from me on that. Dolly used to be a producer on Made in Chelsea, although you don't watch it all that often anymore. So I'm like, oh my God. No, but I was speaking to two of the old story producers and they said this first episode had record-breaking Because Binky's pregnant. Figures. Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's because of the artistry of the opening montage, but we all beg to differ. Right, Dolly. You hate what? talking to me about Made in Chelsea, don't you? Because I always get so technical. Oh, yeah, because you'll be like, oh my God, the way the uh, Dolly grip came in left. <laughs> okay, you don't say that. But um, what's, the, what's the thing that you've been enjoying that's high and low this week? I have been reading the poetry of Elizabeth Bishop. Oh, good Lord. I got okay. Elizabeth Bishop Book of Poems, so, who I love. And um, you read us one? Well, would you like me to? I'd like you to read one because then I'm going to read you another limerick I've written. And that went down very well. It went down really well, so I'm going to try and do one a week about okay. you. Great. <laughs> um, right. Do you really want another dramatic reading of yes, this? Yes, I do, so okay. then I can give you my limerick. Right. Now, hurry up. This is called One Art. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day, except the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster, places and names, and where it was you meant to travel. None of these things will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch, and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I miss them. But it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing is not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. The thing is, is that is highbrow, sort of, 
But I remember posting it on social media once and someone said, oh, I remember coming across that poem because of Cameron Diaz reading it in In Her Shoes. <laughs> I was just thinking that I've really mastered the art of losing. Um, I think she might have written that about my relationship with my phone, passport, keys but and I think, or otherwise. But I think it's a very important poem to read for modern life, particularly because we get so attached and obsessed with um, filling life up and actually that engenders an anxiety that we don't need. So that's why I think it's a very important... I return to that poem quite often. Now, give me a fucking limerick. Yeah. No, give me your lowbrow. Oh, my lowbrow is um, I have rewatched all of series two of Skins <laughs> on Netflix. It's, I wonder if it's that lowbrow Skins. It's very oh, I weird, think it is. isn't it? I have to say, though, series two of Skins is a masterpiece. Not least because one of my best friends, Sarah, who is an actress, appears in it full frontal naked. Really? Yeah. God. I'm... The first time I met her, I was such a huge fan of Skins. The first time I... I... didn't know anyone went full frontal naked in Skins. Uh, not, not Buffer. Oh, boobs. Tits and bum. Tits and ass. And she's got great tits and great ass. But it was funny when I first met her, I was like, oh God, I know who you are. I've seen you completely naked. Anyway, so you've been re-watching all of that. Um, to see your friend naked. To see, I just like seeing her naked. I've had quite a stressful couple of weeks and I felt quite overwhelmed with stuff. And I think you and I have talked about this before. This is sort of at the heart of our whole podcast. I believe in this thing called life lilos. Have I told you about this? Yeah. About when you kind of need to just zone out and kind of go into middle distance yeah, consciousness. Yeah, suits is my life, Lilo. Ah! I've just got into suits, which is worrying because I've got about 400 episodes now. What's, what suits about? Uh, law firm. Oh. It's about amazing. lawyers. No, 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 it's great. Okay. It's really good. Right. Well, did you like The Good Wife? I haven't watched it. Okay. Um, do you but is like... it like sexy American drama rather yes. than like yeah, magic yeah, yeah, circle internship? No, 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 it's slick. It's okay. good. Cool. Um, okay, so now I'm going to read you my limerick. Go on. So listeners of the High Low will know that last week I wrote a limerick about Dolly that she was pretty underwhelmed by, <laughs> um, but other people enjoyed it. So now I've written another one about Dolly, and I'm going to see how many limericks I can write about you. You'll know her as Dolly, but Hannah, her name, famed for her wit and her golden mane. She has legs up to here, but please don't leer. She finds people who shout, tall, just lame. Oh, that's, is that more of a haiku? <laughs> no, it's a limerick. Was there a missing rhyme there? It was light. I really liked that one. No. What does lame rhyme with? Name and main. Mo, I got it. Sorry. Fuck, Dolly. I would say that's more assonance than a rhyme. But well done. I liked it. I think that actually says a lot about me. I wish you could see my facial expression right now. You've, it's both angry and disappointed. You've looked right into my soul with that poem. I don't think you really... Um, no, I like that one. Appreciate me. Shall I write one about you next week? Yeah, and I'll deliberately not get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, what else have you been doing this week, Dolly? I have been reading, um, and I'd like to do this as everyone, write this down as a recommendation because it's so bloody good and I have every confidence that every person I know is going to love this book. God, big shot. No, I do. It's so, I, I can't <laughs> imagine anyone reading this book and not being in love with it. It's by Guardian star writer Stu Heritage. Have you read much of his journalism? 
Yes, I am familiar. I can't think off the cuff of his writing, but yes, I'm familiar with him. One of my favourite journalists, and he has written a book that I've got an advanced copy of, but it's out on the 1st of May called Don't Be a Dick, Pete. His little brother's called Pete, and it's a memoir of his life, kind of not just exploring family, but exploring love. He's got a toddler, so it's kind of exploring fatherhood. Um, But it's kind of told through the framework of stories of him and his brother and their differences. It's kind of an examination of family and sibling rivalry and what we learn from our parents. I think he's incomparable or incomparable. Have we decided which one it is? I think it's incomparable. I think he is incomparable in terms of his voice and the observational lens which he sees things. I think he could write about his commute from Kent into London or his lunch or his trip to the loo and it would feel like a treatment for a sitcom. In fact, I think he should be writing sitcoms because no one writes about the incidentals and the characteristics of British life, I think, better than him. That's Dolly's homage to Stuart Heritage. Brilliant. Great. I will check that out. What are you reading? Um... I haven't actually been reading much this week. Instead, something momentous happened in my life this morning. I got up at 6.30am, which I know is a time that many people rise every single day, but I do not. Please do send us as many angry emails as you'd like about that, by the way. But can I also point out that I wonder how many people regularly work till 11, which is what I did last night, and probably do three nights a week. So I don't often get up at 6.30 in the morning. Still, we'd really like the emails. Carry on. We definitely don't want the emails. Anyway, I got up at 6.30 this morning and I went to a class called Ass and Abs. You can't say that in an what English accent. What did I call it earlier? Flab and bottom or something. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, if you say ass and abs in an English accent, ass and abs. Helen, Helen Niani, uh, the journalist, wrote a piece recently where she said she thinks that British people need to have an licence to operate an American accent, almost like a gun licence. Absolutely not. I don't think you should need a licence at all because otherwise I wouldn't be able to pronounce much of modern life. The zeitgeist, a lot of it is best said in an American accent. Anyway, Case ass in and point. abs. Ass and abs. Anyway, I went to do that. Um, I actually felt much better for it. Other things that have interested but can me this you, you week. Still have, you've still been a bit vague about what you did in ass and abs. Oh my God, like crunches and all sorts of like very tough exercises. I did it at a gym called Frame. There are several frames. I went to the one in Queen's Park. It was really good though. I'm trying to build up my core because, so I'm not an exerciser by nature as many will know, which is why it's slightly bizarre that I wrote an entire piece about leggings. Um, But weirdly, (laughs) I was wearing leggings today. So leggings, yes, there's been a furore around that. I was writing a piece for The Telegraph yesterday. Basically, in case you missed it, two teenage girls were refused boarding to a United Airlines flight on Sunday because they were wearing leggings, or I think they were described in the report as spandex pants. And to be fair, it's not just two random passengers. It was because they were travelling as guests of United Airlines employees. So they had to adhere to the United Airlines staff dress code policy right. which doesn't allow leggings but either way obviously it ripped across the but news but that must be that's nonsense because by that token they should have been given air steward uniforms I know I think it's that they were travelling on their sort of like 50% off or something anyway okay. to be fair I mean they've been hugely condemned even though they were like oh, hold on we're not saying everyone can't wear leggings they've been hugely condemned hence me writing a piece about it because A I think it brings up the idea that there's still a tyranny on women's fashion choices and clothing choices in a way that there isn't on men you know it's not like those you can't imagine that men would be stopped from boarding a flight for wearing shorts or polo shirts I regularly the majority rather than the minority of men particularly when traveling but kind of generally on the whole dress for comfort 
Yes. Yeah, so, How often do you see a man I think that, in shorts and a fleece or camouflage cut-offs? Wowee. Um, do you know what I mean? It's true. That was at the. I think that was at the root of the complaints. Is that a? It's 2017 and leggings are booming. Hence my piece. You know they've gone up. M&S are selling 49% more leggings this year than they went last year. Like which may ath- which may be a fashion choice or it may be. It just is a fashion comfort. choice. The athleisure movement is huge, but also very often our fashion choices are situational. They are led to the context and the framework in which we live our lives. And the way we live our lives is, you know, the the dress code is much more relaxed. Women are um, sort of moving in and out of work at home exercise you know we're much more fluid in our in our day-to-day and I think everything is much more informal so yes it it feels like an affront on the way that women lead their lives at least it's been largely interpreted as an affront on the way that women lead their lives and there was some quite funny celebrity tweets in return I you're really obsessed with Chrissy Teigen aren't you I know I discovered her way too late but I'm just obsessed with that did you see her response about about leggings yeah I loved it I, I think she said I went on a flight recently and wore a top as a dress and nothing underneath now I'm going to go wearing just trousers and no top <laughs> while we're on the subject of Chris Teagan can I just read you one thing that made me laugh so much that I saw on Twitter go the on day. then I know you're having a little bit of a love affair with her does it annoy you that I've discovered it so no late? I think it's is quite it sweet like... and she is very funny no she's great at B Babs tweeted this week saying that a tweet that she wrote four years ago it's the anniversary of and she tweeted Chrissy Teigen saying Chrissy Teigen is in London if I see her and John together I don't know who's going to elicit the most fangirling and then Chrissy Teigen responded I thought you said fingering now I'm sad (laughs) (laughs) I just want to be mates with her so much yeah she is she is very funny Um, I'm sure we talked about some of her best tweets before so like one girl tweeted I didn't know if it was really mean to hate Chrissy Teigen and then my grandmother told me she hated her too and Chrissy like retweeted it and then replied does everyone in your family suck or just you and your grandmother (laughs) I love her I know it's very very good also American Airlines I once went to McDonald's in Stanmore wearing a pair of knickers and a crop top and a duvet around me what would they have made of that, I wonder? <laughs> well, speaking of criticism of women and their choices, Katie Price, who has obviously come under more criticism than most women have in their lifetime and deals with it admirably. I do enjoy her on Loose Women. Um, so Katie Price has been on holiday, I think in the Mauritius or the Maldives, and she put up a picture of her nine-year-old girl princess sort of posing in that very, like, you know, hips-out pouty way that young girls often do you know when they try on heels and Mm. lipstick and stuff and they're like Mm. "Mm, I'm being a model so um she put up a picture of her doing that and because it's Katie Price obviously she came under fire you know you're sexualizing your daughter and you shouldn't be promoting her in this way and it's completely inappropriate and I just want to say that this really pisses me off I don't think that every single thing that Katie Price's children do should be subject to this kind of scrutiny you know Every single child at some point or another. I I can remember a picture of when I was five of me in bikini pants wearing lipstick and loads of necklaces and a pair of heels that I'd found in my old sister's wardrobe. She was like 15 years older than me. And I find it really boring that we have to sort of politicise and scaremonger about every like rite of passage or possible rite of passage this little girl might go through just because Katie Price at one point was a glamour model I don't think it means she's sexualising her daughter No, I don't think, first of all um, I wish you'd given a trigger warning for me bringing up Princess Tiami because that was my 
nickname amongst my friends for many years. Why? Because I look quite a lot like her when she was a baby. Um, <laughs> well, she's gorgeous. I, I, I'm I half she's... Princess Tiami, half Jim Broadbent. Um, <laughs> second of all, the difference is, I would say, is that when photos were being taken of you when you were a child... Someone was taking them on a camera and then the camera was put away. For me, the issue is less about the sexualisation of her child and more I've seen... So a friend of a friend has a little girl and she's constantly taking pictures of her for Instagram and this little girl is always being pouty and cutesy and posing... And that's fine, except I was at an event recently and I saw that that little girl was asking people to take photos of her and then she started posing like she was a little model. And I just think for a little girl to feel like her agency and her currency is so about the way that she looks and to be Mm. actively seeking that out in a way that's very self-conscious, I do think is damaging. And I, don't we th- don't, and I don't think we experienced it when we were little children. We do, little to be girls. fair, we don't know if that's the situation. No, we don't. We but... don't know if she's that person or just occasionally, like nine-year-olds, she likes to ham it up when she's on holiday for her mother. Maybe. I do see a lot of those pictures of her, though, in the press. Of her yeah, with maybe. false eyelashes on when she was little with straightened hair. Again, playing devil's advocate, my mum straightened my niece's hair when she was five because she's always had curly hair and she wanted to see what she'd look like with straight hair. So my mum's Yes, but it. I don't think your mum would have gone, oh, post the camera and then probably shown her the photo immediately afterwards and then put it online for millions of people to look yeah, at. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe. I just feel like it's very easy to bash Katie Price. And I... Well, maybe she should be less bashable. <laughs> well, maybe we should admire the fact that she's like a self-made millionaire and she is the ridiculously hardworking. You know, she writes best-selling children's books, for one. And she's had the most horrendously public marriage problems you know her her husband cheating on her with her two best friends everything she's ever done has been splashed across the paper dean piper yes i agree but she, she has her. sought the that father out, of her child absolutely. leaving her the father of her mentally disabled blind child having nothing which is a tragedy which is awful having nothing to do with him i don't know i think i think she's a she courts the press she I, does yes but also, she's, I think she's a hero to a lot of working women for how she has turned it around for her family and earned a lot of money out of it. I shall forever respect her for that, Dolly. And you can keep... You Are you keep... going to chuck me out of this duo and get Katie Price in? No, Jenny Murray. <laughs> Do not fucking call me Jenny Murray. Anyway. Anyway, okay, all right. What, um, what else have you been doing? I'm sure you said to me recently something about bloody quinces. <laughs> So, from Katie Price to I quinces... Only, I only half understand what a quince is. It's a jelly. Quince Let jelly. Let me tell you. Okay. No. So, quince jelly is made from the fruit. A quince is a very hard, inedible pear. Although, the man mm, who owns delicious. my corner shop is from Turkey, and we had a very in-depth conversation about this. And he said that in Turkey, because the climate is so hot, when he was a child, his mother would take them off the tree. And they'd eat them. And they wouldn't need to poach them. No, they'd bury them in the earth, and then they would ripen in the earth from the heat of the earth. Is that what figs do? No, figs you just take straight off the tree. Anyway, yes, I didn't know so, so quinces... Don't fig shame me. Quinces are very delicious, 
very unusual tasting fruit that are highly perfumed and kind of floral no matter how I don't need much too much cook. detail I just wondered what you've been doing so I've just week. been I've this man my lo- the man who owns my corner shop has been selling quinces so I bought a load of them I love quinces I've been poaching them and lots of people were tweeting me asking me how I was, how I was poaching them because obviously I was chewing everyone's ear off about it on I, Instagram no I did notice that you tweeted about the best way to stop courgette being watery and oh, people were I'm like having a courgette nightmare yeah well people moment. like just eat spaghetti big knob yeah, okay, that no was one really that helpful. Up. Oh, sorry, that was just me in my head. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, I love courgette. Um, how do you make it not soggy? It often is, but what I do is I just, I drain it and I drain it and I drain it and then I often eat it with bolognese or something so it kind of doesn't matter. Right, yeah. You know. I eat it with something quite saucy. I think I'm trying to think of it more as a sort of raw salady thing rather than a pasta oh, substitute. That's difficult. Interesting point you do make. Um, Back to quinces. Have you Googled it? Um, extensively, yeah. Obviously, I've had loads of deadlines this week. All I've been doing is Googling courgette fact. Um, <laughs> so lots of people were saying, um, how do you cook them? You poach them. Because I went to Honey & Co. Have you been to Honey & Co.? It's my new favourite restaurant. No. Middle Eastern restaurant. Had a very delicious quince salad there. That's how this all started. That's how the big love affair with quinces was reignited. Help me out of this. <laughs> Look. Katie Price would not be talking to you about this and you would miss it. So what you do is you boil them in water with a cup of sugar or honey and star anise or cinnamon sticks and you boil them for about an hour and then you can have that poached fruit with porridge or with salads and then the boiling liquid becomes a syrup. How many listeners do you think we lost during that? Christ knows. (laughs) Our producer will probably edit all that out. He won't now, just despite me. Um, also this week, <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown. Um, so most of you will probably know who Millie Bobby Brown is because most of you have probably watched Stranger Things, sci-fi drama on Netflix. Do you know what I found out this week? That's, that Stranger Things was born completely out of data search. So Netflix created Stranger Things based on what people were Googling. How people were Googling sci-fi and they were googling 80s and they were googling like nostalgia and kind of memorabilia Mm. and so a treatment was written for stranger things based on what people were searching which is quite terrifying quite meta anyway that's probably why we all enjoyed it so much i hated it that's probably why most people who don't waffle on about quince for quite so long enjoyed it so much anyway so millie bobby brown who is the 12 year old british actor at the heart of stranger things and has obviously had a phenomenal year in terms of exposure and press and has I don't know something like two million followers on Instagram so she put up this um very heartbreaking um, very sad little video hey guys I've never had to do one of these videos before um but I have had to cancel um a comic on last minute which is something I've never never done and I'm planning on never doing again um I just think I've worked too hard and I have to rest um, as I've had a really long shoot and I'm still filming Stranger Things. Um, I'm sorry to everyone who was going and I promise you guys I'm going to get back to you. Um, I love you guys all. Thank you so much for your continued support and um, thank you. So Millie's obviously exhausted in the comments section under this video and they've been very in support of her resting um, because she's not even a blinking teenager um, and obviously working very hard but even in the you know the the pressure was still implicit in the comments section even amidst the support 
there were various people writing, yeah, just rest so we can get series two. You know, there's still this like immense pressure mm. on her. Um, and it just makes me wonder if, you know, she's only 12. Is she really overexposed? And I found it really interesting that in the same week or in the same discussion that we were having about Katie Price getting criticism for Princess on Instagram, hamming it up and being very overexposed. Millie Bobby Brown is only three years older, if even that, two and a half years older. It's so easy to forget though, because even when you watch that video, she carries herself with such grace and intelligence. She lives in an adult world, I think. She seems like an old soul as well, but, but obviously she's not an old soul. She's a kid, a little kid. And it was very, I found it very sad. Did you think, I'm not sure that I felt like she needed to put out that video. I, I don't think she has to explain herself to no, anyone. No, she doesn't. Sadly, I think probably the reason she did it was I think she felt that if a statement had come out, she would have got more She'd have looked harassment like a and bad press. Exactly. And I think she felt like if people could look into the eyes of this exhausted-looking 12-year-old, yeah, that they could eyes. see... Yeah, I think it's sad because I think I've seen so many interviews with her and even though I wasn't a fan of Stranger Things, I think she has such stage presence and I think she's very intelligent and charismatic. I really don't want her to be hardened by this experience. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want... Well, it's very it's very unusual for child stars at some point not to have a dip. I know mm. I don't mean that to be like a really like fatalistic thing to say, but from Macaulay Culkin to Britney Spears. Well, that's what I mean. You know, and that's to why Lindsay Lohan to Misha Barton. It. Justin Timberlake seems to be one of the few, actually, that didn't have a um, public meltdown. Anyway, not to be fatalistic, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen to her, but she's very, very young. And I've, I mean, I've written a piece about her before and I have a friend who interviewed her for his magazine and said that, you know, she is on the trajectory for stardom and you are really in this star presence. She knows exactly what she wants, but she is still 12 and I hope she does get the rest she needs and I hope she doesn't feel like she owes it anyone to do that because to be honest even grown bloody adults don't owe it to say I'm having a, I'm having a tough time I'm mm. exhausted and fragile and I'm going to need to miss out on this I hate when people cancel something and it's like oh my god like it was such a letdown it's like people get ill mm. people have hard times they have bad times and hard times Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Anyway, on to other things that have been happening this week comic relief. Oh, yes. So, um, did you tune in? Do you know what? I didn't tune in on that. Was it on Saturday night or Friday night? Friday night. Actually, missed it on Friday night. I was working on Friday night and then I was at a wedding on Saturday night. So I watched it on catch up on Sunday. And then I. Did you just fast forward until you found love, actually? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was really excited about seeing that. And I actually Instagrammed the video of Hugh Grant doing his speech, which is obviously sort of meant as like a follow up to the one he did 14 years ago. Yeah. I think it was love, actually. Was it 13? 13 years ago. The one he did 13 years, David. Beckham's right foot, David Beckham's left foot. Um, and it's sort of follow up to that. And lots of people were saying, good God, it's better than any other political speech we've heard in the last year. What did you think? I know that you're not as um, soppy as me about about sort of rom-coms and, and love, No, I, t- I totally am. I love rom-coms. That's all I watch is old rom-coms. I hate Love Actually. I love Richard Curtis. I don't think Love Actually is a reflection of... His best work. ...how brilliant he can be. What but... did you think of the comic relief one? I really... Because um... a lot of people don't know, actually, that Richard Curtis and his wife, Emma Freud, created 
love it. Uh, comic relief. <laughs> yeah. Comic relief. Yeah. yeah, lots of people don't know that. So I think when people are like, what? Oh my God, that's amazing. Was there a love actually segment in comic relief? It was because I wonder if they've been trying to do it for a very long time, in fact. Well, I think it's a very noble and brilliant thing. Obviously, there are loads of people who would have just been drawn into watching that because of the love actually thing. So I think it was... Hugh Grant dancing to Hotline Bling. Yeah, I mean, Kate it was Moss. Funny. Spoiler alert, sorry. Kate Moss appearing as Andrew Lincoln's wife. The yeah. singer and the thingy getting back to get Sam getting back together. I don't know. <laughs> as you can tell, there's a little bit of a divide in the room here when it comes to love, actually. Schism. Look, it's hard for me to enjoy a pastiche on a film that I don't like in the first place. <laughs> It was. It was. It was. It didn't have great reviews, did it? I actually haven't read many of the reviews. Well, I feel actually, no need to. What's so hard is that people were really harsh on it, and they were like, "Oh, it was flimsy, and it was predictable, and none Come of it on, made I mean, none of it made sense, and it was all so unbelievable." It was it's like, be yeah, have you watched the, the fucking film? Of course it is. Like, you've made your bed because you like I'm, love. But actually, I'm sorry. now lie in oh, it hold on, with the pastiche. Bit, that's a bit like saying that four weddings and a funeral is predictable because there were four weddings and a funeral. No, but as in, what's predictable is that because they're doing satire on it that they just return to the same template of jokes that's what look, have you seen Bridget Jones too that's that's what they do God, they I've find out what's successful just realised it was a satire <laughs> my god I just thought it was a little catch up <laughs> like love actually on demand the thing that I did really love about it is as you said that closing speech from Hugh Grant I thought was really at the heart of Richard Curtis's work which is about believing in the goodness in people and I think I think it acts as a good footnote for a lot of the films that he's made and why I love him so much and how he captures happiness and how in a world where we're so overexposed to tragedy it's important to remember the kindness and the love that fills the world and that's why people watch Richard Curtis films you know capturing happiness and writing happiness is the hardest thing in the world writing misery <laughs> is very easy it's much harder to be really nice than it is to be a real dick precisely and you know it's much harder when you say to a human can you tell me the best and the worst thing a friend has ever said to you, you'll immediately remember the worst. Humans hold on to the negative without realising. So I really, I love that speech that he gave because it got to the, as I say, got to the heart of Richard Curtis' wonderful work. And also, I think it was very timely considering what happened last week on Westminster Bridge. And I saw a tweet afterwards where someone said, um, when you're losing faith in humanity and you see a tragedy unfolding, look a metre behind because there will always be people rushing to help them and that's what you should focus on in those times of tragedy. So I loved that bit of it. And Is that enough for you? And to to quote one of my favourite lines, who do I have to shag around here to get a chocolate biscuit? Well, that is a good line. <laughs> so I think we probably have to talk about a story that Pandora and I are still Alexis! reeling from. I've renamed it Brexist. That was my leg, by the way, thumping onto the table. Dolly just ignored her. Pandora's wearing a pair of stripper boots today. Um, so, Lexit. The Daily Mail has published a story about a global news event. <laughs> Two leaders, Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May, in discussions of the impending exit from the European Union. That little thing. But because it concerns two women, they decided the future of our economy, legislation, trade all comes secondary to a much more pressing topic, which is, of course, how good their fucking legs look. 
<laughs> so those of you, I mean, I'm sure almost all of you have seen it by now. Obviously, it's a picture of both of them sitting next to each other wearing very, very demure skirt suits. And then you see from knee to ankle because mm. they're both sitting down. Um, and it says, never mind about Brexit. Let's talk about Lexit. Oh, who won Lexit? That was it. And also, I love that the real pedants of Twitter were saying, shouldn't have been an exclamation point at the end of that. It should have been a question mark. <laughs> so, yes, that's the thing we should be outraged at. The Daily Mail's punctuation. Um, and then, obviously, there was that. The Daily Mail <coughs> then sort of um, amended, didn't they, later in the day? Yeah, spineless bastards, because they realised how much outrage there was on Twitter. And it really was. I was full of rage when I saw that front page. There was a lot of criticism on Twitter, Labour and MPs Harriet Harman and Yvette Cooper, uh, Alistair Campbell labelled the paper utter scum. I mean, when Alistair Campbell is labelling your paper utter scum, I think you really have to look but at the, yourself uh, in the, the mirror. But the best was the one from Ed Miliband. Yes, he said the 1950s called and asked for their headline That's back. really good. He's what? Why is like Ed Miliband suddenly this like amazing sassy guy? Why couldn't have been sassy he's the new, two years he's the ago? He's the internet, internet politician. And then later the paper sort of um, tried to backtrack or just deflect, you know, the blame bit and say that it was Sarah Vine's light-hearted verdict on the big showdown because we all know that Sarah Vine is very light-hearted isn't she hilarious that woman um yeah last so, a minute Sarah Vine yeah so here's a quote from her um she obviously writes a column for the Daily Mail what stands out here are the legs and the vast expanse on show I mean I'm showing a lot more right now quite frankly there is no doubt that both women consider their pins to be the finest weapon in their physical arsenal consequently both have been unsheathed. May's famously long extremities are demurely arranged in her customary finishing school stance, knees tightly together, calves at a flattering diagonal, feet neatly aligned. It's a studied pose that reminds us all that her confidence, for she is forever the vicar's daughter, always respectful and anxious not to put a foot wrong. Sturgeon's shorter, but undeniably more shapely shanks are altogether more flirty, (laughs) tantalisingly crossed with the dominant leg pointing towards her audience. I mean, That's this just is shit journalism. I'm absolutely first and obsessed foremost. with shapely shanks. Try saying, okay, set five times in a row. Shapely shank, shapely shank. <laughs> it's really difficult when you're drunk as well. The comments under Are the piece. Are you drunk now? Um, no, makes but I'm going to get drunk just so I can say shapely shanks and then I'm going to voice record it to you. Uh, the comments under the piece are, in fact, I might change my name to Pandora Shapely Shanks. Nice. Oh my God, please do on Twitter. The, the comments under the piece, suitably horrendous. I mean, she'd set them up. So there was someone going, are they wearing any underwear? But what can we expect with a piece written with something like that that sets the precedent? I find Sarah Vine's writing so retrograde and unhelpful and dragonish. A spokesperson released a statement, which is hilarious. Newspapers never speak through spokespersons. They're not like they're not like mega brands or celebrities, although I suppose maybe the Daily Mail is. Anyway, Daily Mail suggested that their critics were being po-faced and had lost their sense of humour. Um, it's extraordinary it, for, statement. For goodness sake, get a life! <laughs> 10 years old, said spokesman. Sarah Vine's piece was flagged as light-hearted, a sidebar along a serious political story. For the record, the mail was the paper which, more than anything, backed Theresa May for the top job. Doesn't stop it being sexist. Um, again, for the record, we often comment on the appearance of male politicians, including Cameron's waistline, Osborne's hair, Corbyn's clothes, and even Boris's legs. Is there a rule that says political coverage must be dull? Left-wing commentariat, so obsessed with the Daily Mail, has lost all sense of humour and proportion. I was exhausted. Dolly, what do you think? 
I was so angry when I saw this. I was so much angrier than I thought I would be. I just had this moment where I was like, I am so sick of this. I'm so sick of routinely the Daily Mail reducing my gender to a pair of legs that may or may not be better or thinner than another woman's. Shapely or shanks, Dolly. Shapely shanks. Shapely shanks. Or a pair of ovaries that may or may not be working or hair that may or may not be thinning on Kate Middleton. It's just, it's humiliating and it's degrading and it's reductive and it's mortifying. Also, and, I feel like they've missed and the And it points. has an effect. This is the problem. It has an effect on female consciousness. If this is all that we're reading day in, day out about how we're assessed, it's going to have an effect you know, on I, under- I understand what they were saying in that, you know, we talk about Cameron's waistline and Boris's hair. Yes, we're not suggesting that you could never, ever comment on a woman's appearance ever again. But it, it, we just have to think how you're, how you're framing that. And if it's on a cover, you know, on your... And if it's, it's a headline... fucking relevant, these are two powerful leaders speaking about a global, life-altering change. Their legs have nothing to do with it. And I'm sorry, I don't swallow that, you know, well, we make jokes about Boris Johnson's hair stuff because I just feel like the imbalance is still so high. Paul Dacre is an educated man and he should be ashamed of himself. Well, I don't actually agree with the point about um, relevancy because I think some of the most joyous life are the irrelevant um, commentaries and details. But I would agree that women are already in such a place of bias that to have, you know, two influential female politicians having one of the most important and crucial conversations, to do it there completely misses the point of progression, feminism and everything else. I don't care if you comment on Boris's hair. Comment on the shapely shanks in a much lesser story of much lesser weight. Do we have to comment on the shapely shanks at all? Look, I just don't want to not ever get to say again shapely shanks, Dolly. (laughs) (laughs) Should we move on to the questions? There's a piece in this. Can I say one more thing about the shapely shanks that I found very cheering? I tweeted the picture when it came out last night. world's biggest retweet, that one. Um... And what I found interesting is I got thousands of retweets and replies and favourites. And I would say nearly 50-50 it was men and women. And that was one Good. very wonderful thing that yes. I think came out of it. And bar a couple of men, but it really was only a couple going, oh, how awful. Obviously, it's Nicola's legs are better. Other than them, it was, it was men saying this is completely unacceptable and gross. And I think that's very encouraging. And that shows that, we are moving on slowly. Oh, my God. Yes, this doesn't... As in, I can't imagine that have happened on Twitter five years no, ago. I think people are more familiar with the language And that's why... I, and I completely understand why some people were upset and angry by this, but I actually... I genuinely found it hilarious because it does, to me, stick out so much in what's going on in the rest of society and the rest of conversations perhaps, we're having. Perhaps you're right in that there's no point getting angry because but, they've made such fools of themselves. But the Daily Mail is a huge, huge force. It is the paper that gave Katie Hopkins a legitimate voice, for goodness sake. And it's not all bad. I don't think anything is all bad or all good. But yes, it's 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 disappointing when such a massively read platform does something that just makes you go, oh my God. Anyway, should we go on to some questions? Let's go on to some questions. Some great ones, as usual. Thank you so much for your questions. We love reading them. Yes, don't forget to tweet us at The High Low Show if you have any comments or questions ever. And email us. Dolly's always foraging around the inbox with her shapely shanks. I'm so sorry. I still haven't replied to a lot of them. I'm back to back with work at the minute. I will reply and I really appreciate every email that you send. It is quite... um, Sorry 
because it's quite obvious that it's a dolly just manning that station. But I, you know, I've been manning other stations. Don't ever think that it's that we're ignoring. It's that we, alongside this, we are full-time freelance journalists. Sorry to be boring. Dolly's also writing a book. I also have various other obligations. So um, we don't want anyone to ever think that we think that we're too good to reply. No, and we always it's appreciate that, your feedback it's just that and take sometimes it on board. we have to stop writing and go have a cocktail. Um, or more likely, <laughs> oh a really God. rank glass Chill of wine. Out, Samantha Jones. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we will definitely endeavour to reply to them all in due course because we love to read everyone's emails. Dolly, kick us off with the first question. Dearest Dolly and Pandora, my best friend and I are both faithful subscribers to the late Pandolly podcast and the new and very perky Hilo. <laughs> We're both 23-year-olds going on 24, but who's counting single ladies from Australia. But the extreme degree of our singledom is what some would deem catastrophic. There is no way of explaining this without sounding like a 14-year-old Mary-Kate and Ashley <laughs> fan. But neither of us have ever been kissed. I read a piece yesterday about a young lady who waited until she was 23 to lose her virginity to someone she truly loved. The selling point was that the woman had waited until she was 23. Is 23 the new 33? What does this mean for us? Capital letters. I mean, at this stage, we're still 10 bases crossed out, uh, steps behind her. I'll let you do the math. Okay, so, and it goes on to say, you know, we are intelligent and kind and funny. And I can I think tell, we're you're looking. very funny. We love your funny. email. Uh, she says, do you think we should be concerned? Do you have any advice? Um, well, we were talking about this earlier and we were thinking, you know, the last thing you ever want to do with this kind of question, I think, is to be like, God, that's so weird. Because, you know, everyone has different life experiences and I hate the idea of condemning anyone's as weird. Mm-hmm. It is, however, unusual. Yes, and I do understand And I do understand why both of you would be feeling a certain amount of, not shame, but kind of concern or slightly, slightly bothered by the fact that you have got to the age of almost 24 and neither of you have kissed anyone. Um, I do wonder, though, is it the lack of opportunity or is it that, you know, neither of you have propelled the situation from your own corners? Yeah, I think you have to... First of all, you should feel no judgment or abnormality about this at all. That's not something you should be embarrassed of. All I would say is it is unusual and, you know, being intimate with someone and feeling that connection with someone is a very exciting and wonderful thing it's one of the most beautiful things that you can experience you know there are many other amazing things you can experience being human but I would probably like for you to experience that at some point as I'm sure you want to but all I would say is if it just hasn't come across your path and you haven't thought about it and you have just deemed your friends and your work and your family enough, then that's wonderful. That means you're an extremely fulfilled person. If it is that you're yearning for that, as Pandora said, I would examine whether maybe it's a fear of intimacy or being close and vulnerable with someone or maybe it's so that you just haven't put yourself out there and met those people and that hasn't crossed your path. I'd say there are two things there, which is one, not don't encourage each other, but don't project your own feelings onto each other so that you're sort of both feeling exactly the same about it. I think approach it as individual experiences. Definitely. It's, a, it's an unusual coincidence, but allow it to be your own individual experiences and journeys, to use a really naff word. I but completely agree with you don't, on that. Don't fetishise it, or not fetishise it, romanticise it. You know, a, a kiss is just a kiss. It's not having sex with someone or having a baby with someone and actually even having sex with someone should you so want to and never want to see them again is totally your right but don't think and I think there would be a danger of getting to the age of 23 that it has to be this momentous occasion no no. next time you're flirting with someone and you're at I mean you live in Australia so you're at a barbecue on the beach (laughs) 
And there are people from home and aware around. No, I'm joking. Saying, sorry. crikey, mate. Sorry, just injecting with some an alligator around your neck. some levity into a situation of, um, you know, they're clearly concerned. Um, just, you know, don't don't shut off any avenues of opportunity and I know it sounds really stupid but once you sort of got that first kiss out the way and relaxed about it it's it, so won't be, much, it won't be a big deal I think anymore. back to when I had my first kiss and I was my practicing first kiss was monstrous I was practicing on the back of my hand and it felt like the hugest thing and the first one was a bit crap but then it's like oh god is that that and then you just and once you, once your first kiss is done it's done and I would just if that's something that you really want I would just jump straight into it so we've actually only got time for one more question. So I think we should go for this one. I'm going to read it out. What are the two most disparate pieces of entertainment that you typically consume right next to each other? I love this question. It's hilarious. It's sort of really meandering. I very often listen to the Hilo and, of course, Pandoli, followed by a podcast called The Rugby Pod. I really enjoy the juxtaposition of in-depth discussions of Moon Cups, Gigi Hadid and Meryl Streep, with former professional rugby players talking about the time they variously drank each other's urine, punched and defecated on one another. Similarly, I know that some people often watch lightweight comedy shows after a particularly bruising episode of Black Mirror as a sort of psychic palate cleanser. Love, Tom Owen, long-time pan devotee, at... Owen T. Charles. Nice little plug there. I know, I like his plug. I love this. It's really well written, this question. I, I love psychic palate cleanser. I'm loving all these emails we get. They're very loquacious and funny. Yes, they're very eloquent. I feel like you've understood the high-low wholesale. I'd like to use you as all our PR in human form. Are you single, Tom? What's his name? <laughs> Tom Owen. Tom Owen, long-time pan devotee. It sounds like Dolly would just like you to be a doll also, devotee. it's just great because I already know he likes me blabbering on, which is basically <laughs> the bulk of any relationship I'm in. Um, what are the most two disparate pieces of entertainment that you typically consume right next to each other? So adjacency hmm. is the key here. Let me have a think about this. Do you know what? I'd, I'd say that the disparate entertainment in terms of adjacency would often be in terms of what you and I write. So if I think what I've written this week, I wrote a piece about leggings for The Telegraph and then I'm writing a piece on digital culture and all the psychology around that for another newspaper. And I was doing interviews for both back to back and the flitting between those two, between a spandex pant and a... uh, the weighty psychological issue of the internet. What's the lowest brow article that you've ever written? Oh, um, I think it was probably one we both wrote, a for and against for Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, I've gone lower than that. Have you? I wrote for an online magazine that shall remain nameless. I think it was just under a thousand words on the pros and cons of wearing gloves in the winter. Oh my God. I haven't seen that. It's a slow news week. That's extraordinary. Um, Yes, no, I don't think I have gone that low. You win, Dolly. That's all we've got time for today. We are having a break next week. We're going to have a week off. Dolly's in Devon. I am in Essex. We're both escaping to the countryside for some respite, but also to plough through some deadlines. So we'll be back the week after next. In the meantime, you can do us a huge favour by subscribing and reviewing and rating us. On iTunes. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much to Wise Buddha, whose studio we are recording in today. Thank you very much to Lauren Benstead for our cheery jingle and to Natalia Bagnesh for the artwork. Dolly, have you got any thank yous to say? Have you and your shapely shanks got any last words? Thank you for being my 
podcast co-host. And I'm going to thank my shapely shanks for getting me here today. Without you guys, I'd still be in bed. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>